Sometimes singing in prayerful form to God is somewhat better than trying to vocalize what we want to say. In fact, the Apostle Paul, periodically, as he was writing, he made mention in the book of Romans chapter 10 that when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit makes groanings for us. I wonder if sometimes that's in song form. So this morning, I'm going to do something a little bit different. We're going to sing our prayer. No, you, well, you will find it in the hymn book, but you don't need to turn there because what we're going to sing is very familiar to you. If you're a bass, then you sing way down here. Tenors, you sing way up here. Altos and then sopranos. Fill in those parts together as we sing, won't you? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea bills roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well. day when the face shall be sight the clouds be rolled back as a scroll the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. One you might not be familiar with, but I've known this chorus for a long, long time. It goes something like this. If you know it, just Time I then, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, 
tried and true with thanksgiving I'll be a living sanctuary for you. How many of you, that's the first time you've ever heard that? Wonderful. I'm now it's a brand new song. It will not leave your mind all week long. So we need to sing it again so to solidify it, okay? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. In life, there are things that should never be combined like nitroglycerin and a paint shaker. It's going to turn out bad. I learned that lesson many years ago, prior to 1982, when my family and I, we headed off to Lancaster Bible College. Prior to that, I helped my father-in-law on the farm. He was a dairy farmer, and every morning and every evening, the machines had to be washed. He didn't have pipeline milking at that time. He had belly strap, D-Laval, all of you, amen, all of you farmers know what I'm talking about. The rest of you have no clue. I'll bring you up to speed later. But one morning, I'm in there after breakfast. We would rinse the machines and go eat breakfast, and then after breakfast, we'd come back out. And I went and I told Dad, I'll go in and I'll, I'll wash the, the machines. And, it, and then as I'm washing the, the uh, milking machines, the bulk tank driver came. He used to come every other day, right around the same hour or such, and empty out the bulk tank. Well, when the bulk tank is empty, you have to wash that too. To wash the bulk tank, there's a, a certain solution that Dad had. It was in a powder, powder form, and in that solution was some kind of Clorox, some kind of chlorine. It smelled really clean, really good stuff. And so I mixed up that batch, and, but then I looked underneath the, the shelf of the bulk tank, and there seemed to be just a little bit of uh, fat that had been built up, some scale there. And so Dad had some stuff that would get rid of the scale. It was more of acidic form. So I had a great idea. Why don't I combine the two? <laughs> you don't put acid with Clorox. It's not a good thing. I didn't learn that right away because as I mixed it up, it did smell a little bit different. And, but what happened as, as I put the pail in the bulk tank, because you have a big brush with a long handle, you know, and you're scrubbing the tank. The tank was about, because the milk just got out of there, it was only about 40 degrees. And so what I created was a, a fog of 
hydrochloric acid. And I'm in the tank, and I'm breathing this stuff. As I'm scrubbing away, I'm saying to myself, why is my head hurting? <laughs> and then it got to my lungs. I'm saying, why is my lungs hurt? Well, by God's grace, Dad came into the milk house. He opened the door, and he smelt it, and he let out a yell. And then he came, and he grabbed me by my, my pant belt, and he pulled me out of the tank because I was going down. So you don't mix acid with chlorine. Not a good thing. Some things just don't naturally go together and they should never be put together. The book of Ezra, chapter 4, deals with that particular issue. But it takes it a little bit deeper because Ezra, chapter 4, deals with a theme of discouragement. Discouragement in the midst of doing what you feel God has called you to do. In Ezra chapter 4, the first six verses lay out for us a plan. A devious plan as it is, believe me, we'll get to it shortly. But in verse 7, all the way over to verse 23, 24, you should put that in parenthesis because that is a 15-year, 15 years of discouragement that came upon the nation of Israel in the midst of building the temple for God. Are you there in Ezra chapter 4? I want to read for you the first six verses of this, of this chapter to bring us up to speed. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Eskarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Sounds pretty good so far. Sounds like a pretty good plan. But remember, certain things are not supposed to be combined. Let's go on. For it says in verse 3, But Zerubbabel and Jeshua... And the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may not, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now turn over to verse 24. Thus, the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased 
And it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. How do you deal with discouragement in the midst of doing what you know the will of God is? Before we get started, I want to give you a little bit of a history lesson. I love history. I know that's probably all of your favorite themes, but, but in school, I love history. I'm glad that my son, Stephen, when he went to the University of Nebraska, he graduated with a degree of history. Yes, history. History is this. Let me set it for you. There are four kings that are listed in the book of Ezra that we need to deal with. The first, obviously, is King Cyrus. Cyrus came into power, as you might remember, we discussed this in Daniel chapter 5, when Belshazzar was having a party. And the finger of God came and wrote on the wall, basically translated, Bubba, you're done. The party's over. The Persians came in, and Cyrus was established as the king at that time. Following Cyrus came Darius. Darius was not Persian. He was a Mede. But the Medes and the Persians combined empire together. So there's Darius, the Mede. What's interesting about those two is both of those kings are mentioned in the book of Daniel. Then the next king that we have, it tells us here in verse 6, in the reign of Azarus, Azarus is the uh, Aramaic, not the Aramaic, excuse me, I can't remember the the language that it was written in, um, but it really should be translated Xerxes. Xerxes is the king during the time of Esther, the book of Esther. Xerxes. Now, you know what happens in the book of Esther. There's there's a guy there who's an evil guy, and he wants to destroy all of the Jewish people and all of the Persian realm. And Mordecai and Esther are there. And Esther is the one that God used to spare the lives of all the Jewish people. The next king is... Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is the king during the time of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Now, with that being said, I find it very interesting of the individuals that God used to influence these kings. Daniel influenced Cyrus and Darius. It was Darius in the book of Daniel where Daniel was tricked, Darius was tricked to throw Daniel into the lion's den. And Darius was there at the end of the day. He's the first one who arrived at the lion's den, and he said, Daniel, has your God spared you? And he found out that he did, and he said, blessed be the God of Daniel. Well, Daniel also influenced Cyrus. And I think Daniel used the, prop, the word of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 45, because in chapter 45 of Isaiah, the first few cha- verses of that chapter, 
God is speaking, and he calls Cyrus his instrument. And so we've read in Ezra chapter 1 that the Spirit of God moved into the heart of Cyrus. Daniel influenced them with his life. Esther influenced Xerxes, and Nehemiah influenced Artaxerxes. With that being said, never, never, never look down on yourself as not being important in the family of God. Paul tells us that we're all gifted differently, but we all have one purpose, and that is to bring unity to the body of Christ. Amen? But in that, realize this, that God has placed you where you are for the purpose of you influencing people for the kingdom of God. When Daniel was hauled off in captivity, you can't help but wonder if maybe he asked questions, why? When Esther was finally chosen to be the queen, and Xerxes didn't know that she was Jewish, Mordecai said to her, for you were born for such a time as this. Nehemiah, when he's with Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes notices that Nehemiah is downtrodden and says, what's the matter? And Nehemiah shares with him, how can I be joyous when my city lays in ruins? Artaxerxes changed his mind of stopping the building to starting it again. And never discount where God has you. Because let me coin a phrase, for you were born for such a time as this. But we pick up our text, and we see that there are two, if you will, issues, or there are two things that the inhabitants of the land do to, in, to attack, if you will, the captivity, those born in captivity. The first thing they try to do is infiltrate. They, they come, according to Ezra, as he's writing this account, they came to Zerubbabel, verse 2, and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, let us build with you. For we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Eskardan, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Who are these people, these inhabitants of the land? Mark for yourself a passage. 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17 explains who they are. Israel which is the northern ten kingdoms, God allowed Syria to come in there and to attack them. And during that time, Assyria also took captives out of the land and brought in some of their people to the land to infiltrate it. Well, things weren't going that well 
because they didn't take everybody. Assyria didn't take everybody. And so the kings decided that he found a high priest and he brought that high priest back with the purpose of teaching the people, instructing the people how to worship God. Now that all sounds really kind of cool, but it really wasn't because what was happening is God was added to the worship of idols. Remember, there are things that should never be combined. Nitroglycerin and a paint shaker. God and idols should never be combined. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that having fellowship with idols is basically having fellowship with the devil himself and demons shouldn't do that. And so they tried to infiltrate. They infiltrated by using two, if you will, excuses. The first one was this. We serve the same God. In other words, we're just like you. We're just like you. I was discouraged a number of years ago. Discouraged from the viewpoint at that time of, of of President Bush, it was shortly after the uh, uh, terror attack upon the, the, not only the towers, but the Pentagon and then Western Pennsylvania. Shortly after that, he made a statement that when he said it, I yelled at the, at the radio. His statement was, we all serve the same God. You want to know what I yelled? No, we don't. <laughs> My God is not Hare Krishna. My God is not Buddha. My God is not Confucius. My God is described as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In fact, when Jesus walked this earth, Peter's, or, uh, Paul said, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is who God is. All those other gods are dead. Ours is alive. What they were saying is, we're just like you. We worship the same God. No, you don't. No, you don't. You cannot combine something with God and expect the blessing of God. Jesus said it well when he says, you cannot serve two masters. It's God or mammon. You can't serve both. You'll love one and hate the other. So their first excuse is, is that, can't we just get along? We serve the same God. No, we don't. Second thing is they said is this. We seek your God just like you. No, you do not. No, you do not seek our God. You seek the God that you want him to be, added to your other idols. Well, we, as the story goes on, as the account is, Zerubbabel and Jeshua, let me paraphrase what they said, ain't going to happen. 
you will not help us build this temple. The altar is already done. The foundation for the temple is finished in chapter 3. Both things happened in chapter 3. Now they were starting to set out to build the temple. And they said, you will not help us. This is our God who we're building to. Now, now the danger of allowing the, the people, the inhabitants of the land, who, by the way, are the descendants of the Samaritans. Trace it through history, and you'll find out that these individuals in 2 Kings are the descendants of the Samaritans. John chapter 4 brings account just like this. Jesus said to his disciples, we must needs go through Samaria. What does disciples say? Uh, bad idea. Don't want to do that. Jewish people had nothing to do with Samaritans. But Jesus said, there's someone there I got to meet. So the Samaritans and the Jews were not friendly. But these are the Samaritans. And if they were allowed to help build the temple, then they would have brought in their gods into the sense of the true God. All of this is leading to this, dear people. Doing a checkup from the neck up. What have we allowed to come into our lives that takes the place of God? Things of this world. John writes for us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. The things of this world, the love of the flesh, the love of the eyes, and the pride of life, they are not of God. They are of this world. If you have found yourself or are finding yourself to be occupied with other things other than God being on the throne of your life, I'm here to tell you you are trying to mix things that cannot be. It will always turn out to be the worst. That's what they wanted to do. Let's compromise. You, you can't compromise the Word of God. You cannot compromise God himself. You can't make him to be what you want him to be. He is who he is. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, for without faith is impossible to please him, for you must believe that he is who he is. And he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. Don't compromise. Don't allow this world system to come to you and say, let us help you. They can't. They can't do that. Now how, getting back to discouragement, because if you put brackets or parentheses beginning at verse 6, and you go all the way over to verse 23, the end of 23, that is a fifth, 15-year problem. 
that the building of the temple was stopped. Fifteen years. How did they do it? Well, first they tried to infiltrate, and then it turned into be intimidate. They intimidated. They brought discouragement. They brought fear. Because the people of the land, the Samaritans, wrote letters, and they hired individuals to work in the legal system to stop God. Now that ought to call you to sit up straight and say, that's happening now. The legal system has said that because there's a separation between church and state, you no longer can have Christmas decorations depicting Jesus and his birth in the center of town. It's illegal. Life has been cheapened because now it's a right to kill unwanted babies. The legal system has worked against the things of God. And I'm here to tell you this morning, it's not going to stop. In fact, the word of God tells us it's going to get worse. So how do we rise above from being discouraged? We could read what Moses said to Joshua, be not discouraged nor dismayed. For as God was with me, he will be with you. And that can make us all warm and fuzzy, but it still doesn't help us to understand how do we rise up above discouragement. There are three things in this text, I believe, that help us with that. Number one, the first thing that I believe God does is he gives us, he gives us a spirit of discrimination. Now, that doesn't mean that we look down on certain kinds of people. No. Discrimination means the ability to make wise choices. To make wise choices. I, I quoted it before, but the book of 1 John was written, its main purpose was written to encourage people in the midst of being discouraged. And in 1 John chapter 2, as we read before, as we said before, John writes, the things of this world are not the things of God. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of God. And they that practice them are not of God. So God has given us this spirit of discrimination. Zerubbabel and Jeshua were, were influenced by the word of God to know full well that the people of the land were not interested in the same God that they were. They were able to make a wise choice by saying, you will not help us build this temple. In the midst of discouragement, 
we find ourselves at times making bad choices because we're trying to get ourselves out of a dark situation. But if we use the Word of God as our guide, as we use the Word of God as, as it is intended, we will eventually be able to rise above being discouraged, knowing full well, dear people, that our God still is in control. And there's nothing that can happen. Nothing can deter his will. Nothing can shut it down. He will do as he says he will do. And even in the midst of our storms, God will carry us through. He's given us a spirit of discrimination. Secondly, he's given us a spirit of decision. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Zerubbabel and Jeshua made a wise decision. But notice how their decision was made. It, it says that they... Uh, Flipped over a page. But Zerubbabel and Zeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's houses in Israel said to them, you may, not do, you may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, for we alone will build the house of our God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded. What they're literally saying is, if you've got a problem with what we're doing, take it up with the king. He gave us permission. You are nothing. Their decision was based totally upon knowing what God had said for them to do and how he worked things out. And they made the decision and threw it right back on the people saying, if you don't like this, Take it up with the king. The last thing is this. God has given us a spirit of discretion. A spirit of discretion. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, John writes, test the spirits to see if they are of God. Test them. Well, how do you test the spirits? How do you test what's happening in our society? You test it by the standard of righteousness, and that is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Unfortunately, the infiltration didn't work, so they tried intimidation. As they worked through the court system, Xerxes and Artaxerxes shut the building down. We'll, we'll get to that next week because those letters are very interesting. They're full of untruths, but they're very interesting. But the children of Israel, in chapter 4, the last verse, says, even though the work was stopped up to the second year of Darius. It still got built. God could do it. I 
find it interesting in our time, in our society here, <clears throat> as our president has stated, that he is going to establish the United States Embassy in Jerusalem. Of course, the whole world loved the idea. No. And by the way, that's not new. That's not new. The people of the land have no idea of the God of the kingdom. <laughs> God will work it out. Jerusalem was the place that David ruled from. Solomon ruled from. It was the capital of the area known as Judah and Benjamin. It was the place where God met his people. And when the United States is deciding to put its embassy in Jerusalem, the rest of the world's not keen on that idea. God's up to something. In your moments of discouragement, realize this. God has given you a spirit of discrimination using the word of God, decision, using the power of God, and then discretion using the wisdom of God. In those three areas, you will rise above discouragement that I can say as Moses to Joshua, I say to you, be not discouraged nor dismayed. For as God has led us, he'll, he'll lead you. Take heart. Can't wait to get to chapter 5 and 6 because the temple gets built. But God is still on the throne, no matter what. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning, for these wonderful people who allow me the privilege to stand before them. I'm honored. Not only honored to teach your word, but I trust, Lord, honored in such a way that you receive the honor and the glory. As we think about what it is to not combine things that should not be together. Strengthen us, Lord, even through times of discouragement to remember to put you first. And may you, O oh Lord, lift us out of times of discouragement to times of victory because we're doing what you've called us to do. Thank you for these wonderful people. Bless them, Lord God, throughout this week. And we'll thank you in your name. Amen.